Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. But everybody else thinks that they're so nice. Everybody else thinks that they are so nice. But there's always that that slight condescension, that slight sort of superiority, a slight thing, but yet everybody else thinks they're wonderful, thinks they're amazing. You know, it makes you feel like you just always feel like crap. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Right. Hubert Narcissus says, I think they are the worst ones. I've had to deal with them in my own life. I had to deal with them in my law practice. I've helped many thousands of people get rid of them, smack them down. And I want to help you with these guys too, because you know what? What can I tell you? What's the difference between a covert and an overt? Well, the overt is the one that will tell you everything about themselves. They're the one that demands everything. I kind of think of them as the garden variety narcissist. These are the ones that you think of. Before I knew what a covert narcissist was, this is the only kind of narcissist I thought that was out there. These are the ones that will demand the best tables or the restaurant. They're the ones that are that tend to be like the misogynists of the world, the ones that will take what they want without question, no problem. These are the guys that will bully people right to their face. This is a a very different type of narcissist than a covert narcissist. This is the one that demands their admiration, demands your attention. A covert narcissist is a much softer tactic, a much more passive kind of a tactic. You know, I kind of think of these as a, a more like a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of a narcissist because they're more, much more stealth under the radar. You know, you don't know that this is a narcissist until you're up close and personal with this kind of a narcissist. Everybody else in the world thinks that this person is kind and gentle and might might even see this person as a victim. And it's much more difficult to recognize right away because they're not out there, you know, taking over the world. They might even say, oh, I hate the spotlight. I don't want that. No, you, you take the spotlight. I mean, they might even be saying that to other people. I'm telling you, they are just as destructive just as bad, even sometimes more so. They're not as easy to spot. And they they are just as much of a narcissist as any other kind of a narcissist. They have just as much of a need to fill that emptiness inside of them, just as much of a need to have everybody pay attention to them as 
any other kind of a narcissist and they have those feelings of fantasies of you know, craving that fame and glory and all of those things, but it's not as out there as the the overt narcissist. And they definitely lack empathy just the same as an overt narcissist. It's just not as easy to spot. It's not as obvious until you're right there, right in front of them. What kinds of things do covert narcissists do? Covert narcissists are passive aggressive. You ask them to do something or they might even volunteer to do something and they'll say yes, right to your face. And then they just don't do it. Almost like a petulance or something where, okay, how many times do I ask them? before I'm just being a pest, you know, especially if you're a business partner or uh, somebody that works with them, a colleague, it's kind of a push thing. You know, they don't want to be forced to do something. But then if you ask them to do something, they're, they're kind of like, don't want to have to do it, but then they don't get asked, then they get mad about that too. You know, it's a crazy sort of thing. They don't want to get left out, but they also don't want to be forced to do something. So they're very passive aggressive in that way. They feel like they're too good for things. They don't want to have to tolerate people. They feel like life isn't fair for them. And they feel like they're never appreciated. They're never appreciated for how much they do. And a lot of times if they do things for you, It always comes with strings attached if they give a gift. And a lot of times they do give, but it's always with, you know, they want to make sure that people are watching and that it's it's always with purpose, you know, or if they give for charity, are people watching? It's always for a purpose and for a, a, a certain gain to get from that. And it's always then after all I've done for you, don't you see what I've done for you? You should feel appreciative for what I've done for you. Look what I've given for you. You'll never find anyone else like me. You know, a lot of self-importance in that and a lot of guilt put on people, a lot of guilt, you know, manipulation with guilt that way. Blaming and shaming, a lot of blaming and shaming. They use shame a lot to manipulate people. And there's always sort of this sort of double-edged things that they say to people. They they love to use sort of passive-aggressive language when they speak to people too. You've lost a lot of weight. That's so great how you've lost a lot of weight. You know, you look good. I mean, it's it's too bad about the stretch marks, you know, but I mean, you've you've really you've come so far though. I mean, you've really come so far. Things like that. It's almost sort of like, yeah, but no. They'll say they're happy for you on something, but you can tell that they're not really quite happy. And then they pit people against each other too. But there's always this plausible deniability with everything that they do. Because then when you say things to people, they'll say, what are you talking about? I congratulated them. I said I was happy. You know, I even had a party for them. But you just know that there's this underlying thing, this underlying rage, this underlying passive aggression, rage, something going on with them. There's this emotional neglect. They, they never quite connect 
emotionally because there's there's just that thing that's missing because they can't quite get there emotionally. And a lot of times, you know, they'll offer to do something for you, but you just know that they don't really quite want to do it. You know, like I'll pick this up for you on the way home. And then sometimes they just, oh, I forgot. I forgot to do that. Or if they do it, oh, I had to go way out of my way, but I did that for you. Look what I did for you. Well, I had to stand in this long line, but I did it for you because, you know, I wanted to do that for you. They let it be known. It was definitely a favor, but then they, you know, they tell people, look, I did this for you. So, but it's always under this radar thing and. But everybody else thinks that they're so nice. Everybody else thinks that they are so nice. But there's always that that slight condescension, that slight sort of superiority, a slight thing. But yet everybody else thinks they're wonderful, thinks they are amazing. You know, it makes you feel like you just always feel like crap. Because it's just death by a thousand cuts. Deep down inside, they just don't feel good about themselves. What can you do? You gotta start creating some healthy boundaries with these people, you know, because these are the people that, you know, eventually you will lose your sense of self. You will lose your sense of who you are. You will lose your sense of your voice. And so you've got to, you know, step one, don't run. Step two, make a U-turn. Step three, break free. And, you know, that's what I say as far as course correcting, start moving things in a different direction, start standing up for yourself, you know, just start questioning. Like, I thought you were sick yesterday. You know, how, how come you're here today? Or why are you here? I, I thought you didn't like this person. You know, just start to stand up for yourself a little bit because, you know, calling them out just a little bit slightly is, you know, that will kind of make them lose their balance, make them lose their focus and allows you to start standing up for yourself too. Because remember that they are definitely more afraid of you than you are of them. They definitely are And starting to have some boundaries can give you a little bit more confidence each and every day and start making you realize that they're attaching themselves to you because you have so much value. And it makes you realize that you can create that distance. You can start to take back your power and eventually they will sabotage themselves. They will. And you'll start to see it. The more you start to take back your power, the more you'll start to see that mask start to come off of that covert narcissist. It will start to happen. One thing is that they have a public persona that is so nice and so kind. And they're like humble and sometimes, you know, charming and and wonderful. And I know the ones that I dealt with, they were actually female. And a lot of times people don't even think that covert narcissists can be female or narcissists at all can be female. I know for me, 
I thought narcissists were really misogynistic, boastful, bragging, the type that would come into a restaurant, demand the best tables, were treating women poorly, tell everybody how great they are. That's not necessarily what a narcissist is. Just because you say something good about yourself, that doesn't make you a narcissist, you know? A narcissist can be humble on the surface. This is a person who publicly can be wonderful, but privately is pure hell for the person who they're dealing with. And that is what a covert is, covertly. You know, only the people who are dealing with this person really knows what it's like. And that's why it is so awful to deal with them. That's one of the reasons why they're a covert narcissist. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that they're passive aggressive. You know, what that means is that, you know, they might say that they're going to pick something up from, for you from the store uh, because they're going there anyway. And they just accidentally forget your thing. Oh, I meant to get that. I forgot. Passive aggressive. They say that they're going to complete a task at work that is supposed to be for you. And it just doesn't ever get done. And then you have to kind of keep nagging them about it. That is passive aggressive. There's always this plausible deniability around them where they can kind of go, I thought I did that. You know, oh, I didn't mean that for you. That is always something that you're dealing with with a covert narcissist. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bestlife to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bestlife. Did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take 20,000 breaths a day? But according to the EPA, it's two to five times more polluted than outdoor air and then sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. I know for us and our family, our family has struggled with allergies to dust mites and mold and all sorts of things. And that's why we have loved using an air purifier and air doctor has been amazing for us. And it 
has captured the attention of media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. And it filters out 99.9% of dangerous contaminants such as allergens and pollen and pet dander and all sorts of bacteria and viruses so that your lungs don't have to. And it's super quiet and much more quiet than other ordinary air purifiers. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head to airdoctorpro.com and use your promo code your best life. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code your best life. Number three is they use guilt a lot of times to manipulate people. It's okay. I'm fine. I'll just sit over here by myself. I've done so much for you. I go out of my way to do so many things for everybody else, but no one does anything for me. But that's all right. I'll just sit over here by myself, that kind of thing. So they use guilt to manipulate people to do things for them. So that's the third thing. Number four is that they are very easily slighted. So, you know, you're constantly kind of tiptoeing around their emotions. You know, you never really know how they're going to take something because they're very fragile. Just the slightest of things can make them, their feelings be hurt or they're going to set them off. They're going to be upset about it, or they're going to feel like they're being criticized, or they're going to feel like they're being judged about something. So, you know, you're constantly having to worry about how they're going to take something because they're extremely easily slighted. That's something that's very typical of a covert narcissist. Sometimes they're called the vulnerable narcissist because of that. And by the way, if you are dealing with this, make sure that you are joined my free private Facebook group, Narcissist Negotiators with Re- Rebecca Zung, because you do need the, to have the right kind of support. I have a sponsor on this channel, which is BetterHelp, and you can go to betterhelp.com forward slash Rebecca Zung to get that help and support that you need as well. We receive commissions. It doesn't cost you any extra. We just want you to have help and support. Okay, so the last one is definitely the one that is always the case with covert narcissists. And that is that they always play the victim. Always poor me. It's always life isn't fair. And let me tell you with the covert narcissists that I have seen in my life, they will play the victim to the point they will ruin their own relationships with even people close to them, if necessary, to continue 
looking like the victim because it's so important for them to remain being the victim so that they can get sympathy from people. I find it very sad that that's how they get supply. They get supply from being the victim a lot of times. They won't apologize to people because they've got this underlying rage, this underlying boiling jealousy rage that's always going on. But it's this anger, rage, jealousy thing happening. But for me, I'm the victim. And they're very good at reversing conversations when you try to call them out on things at turning it around so that they're the victim because of that guilt thing and the whole thing so that they're once again the victim. I mean, you can never win with them. You know, if you're dealing with a covert narcissist, it ain't good. And they will suck the life out of you. They will drain you to your core. I've been there. All right. So, so nice. So kind. So wonderful. Everybody thinks that they are wonderful. They come. They befriend you. They are your best friend. Everybody thinks that they are wonderful. They ingratiate themselves within everyone. But, you know, they're kind of like in everyone's business. They sort of find themselves everywhere they need to be. That's sort of how they are. They just sort of really in touch with everything that's going on, especially if it's a company. They see where the best synergies are. They see where they can collapse. And and they are really, really great for that idealization phase. You know, they want they look for those opportunities to attach themselves to the right people. They're excellent opportunists and they're they're kind of like meerkats. You know, they're always looking around for that best opportunity and where they can attach themselves to that best person to make themselves look the best. You know, where can they look the most significant and be seen and 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 be valued the most, right? And they want to be in that, that spot, that spotlight. If they attach themselves to you, are that person at that moment, you know? So whether it's a business partnership or if you're at work or whatever it is, it's because they have decided that "Mm, you're the one that should be attached to in that moment. And so if that's the case, then, you know, you're going to be a good one for them. But if all of that aligns and that's fantastic at the beginning, once they attach themselves to you, so that's number one, then you start to find, well, number two, they end up not following through on the things that they're supposed to be doing, say that they're going to do things. They end up not doing them. So number two is that they're very, very passive aggressive. Assign themselves or you assign them certain things to do. Where is it? You you are kind of confused by it because they seem like they're going to be an amazing partner or somebody to be working with. And it's not happening. 
and they always have some sort of excuse for it or or they just don't respond to you at all. But, you know, they've always got some sort of family issue, some sort of family emergency, some sort of something going on. And, and you start to feel during this time that underlying sort of competition coming on. Now you're starting to feel that and you're starting to feel that they're sort of triangulating, right? So number three is that's when you're starting to feel that sort of competition going on. That's where you're starting to feel where there's they treat you a little bit like they are superior to you and you are inferior. Little digs, little subtle digs, little subtle devaluing, where, you know, they kind of forget things about you on purpose, things that you know that they knew about you. They kind of put themselves in superior positions. If there's an opportunity, all of a sudden they left you off of it. Oh, inadvertently. Uh, they might have inadvertently left you off of emails for meetings, for information about clients. You know, all of a sudden things are starting to happen. And when you question them about it, they are, what? What are you talking about? You know, they don't own up to it because, you know, everybody still thinks that they're so wonderful, so nice. And they even say things to you like how much they think of you. It's confusing because the way they're acting is different than the way they conduct themselves. And so you're you're starting to feel confused about this underlying thing that's happening, you know, the passive aggressive behavior, this underlying competition, things that they're forgetting and the way they they still seem like they're your friend or they still seem like they're supposed to be sort of on your side. Then the next thing is they start setting themselves up as sort of the they're friends with all sorts of other people and that they have stronger sort of relationships with other people they start they start setting themselves up as they are the go-to person they are the go-to person within the relationship with you so that you are kind of the secondary person in the relationship and because they want people to sort of see that you are now kind of wronging them in some way, that you are now sort of the, the bad person. They want to sort of set themselves up as kind of the victim of you if anything ever happens. They want to make sure that they've kind of got these third parties align, aligned with them. And they want to make sure that you know that these third parties are aligned. You know, so they'll kind of drop it in that how close they are to this person or that person, especially if this person or that person is superior to you, somebody that you look up to, somebody that is perceived to be higher up on the food chain in some way, more famous, more influenced. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be even within the same company, but they want to make sure that whoever this person is, it's 
whether it's the illusion of influence or or whatever it is that you know that they know or whatever it is that there's this perceived feeling that if there was ever a fracture between you and them, that they're going to be absorbed into the higher level of society as they see it. And you're going to be left out in the cold. That's what they kind of want to make sure that you feel. Um, That's the next one. The next one is you start to see some maybe even potential situations where they start treating you almost as a subordinate. Now they're starting to give you tasks to do where you are kind of becoming where you're doing things for them. They might even say things to you in public or in front of others that make people think that you're their subordinate in some way. They might put something out on social media or something that kind of makes people believe this, even if it's not true, or they treat you like this in some way. Because I know for me, it was very similar to this. And I know for me, I even started to see some unethical behavior at this point. I was taken aback. And if you actually say something to them at this point about behavior that is, you know, potentially unethical or not above board, or you try to call them out on whatever it is that they're doing, they are really, they turn it around like, it is such a huge, oh my gosh, I can't believe you would question me. Then they become the victim. They reverse it so that they become the victim and you are now comforting them. The next thing is that they will pretend like you didn't know, they didn't know that you were trying to either take time off or that you were trying to not be scheduled on a certain day or do something like that. You know, they'll, they'll start to try to uh, sabotage you. So they might even like tell clients or people like that, that, oh, they don't know where you are, you know, make it seem like you just didn't show up or make you come in on those days, make you work on those days, that sort of thing. The next thing is that if something good happens with you, and this is the last one, number seven, is that they will absolutely not be happy for you whatsoever. I mean, they'll be like, oh, great for you. Thank you. Well, congratulations. I mean, they'll try to muster it, you know, if they're trying to still hide it. But, you know, you can, you'll be able to start to tell that they're not actually happy. And by the way, you know, this is still, you know, all if they're still with you, still working with you. But I just want to add sort of like a PS to this. If you decide that you're no longer for them and now you're against them or now you're actually pulling away and they know it, this is when gloves off, mask off when it comes to a covert narcissist. This is when they just absolutely go insane, you know, removing your access, doing things. This is when you start to see a side of them where you think, oh, what happened to the nice one? Wow. 
they'll start sending you really nasty emails, being just absolutely horrible. And you think, wow, I didn't even know you had it in you to be like this. And all you're trying to do is actually maybe try to have a cordial end. You try to extend an olive branch. You're trying to be nice, trying to wrap things up in a good way. They will not be able to do that. I'll tell you that right now. And by this time, you will have had all the energy sucked out of you. You will be a shell of yourself having dealt with them. And you'll just be, I got to get out of this thing. So believe me, I know I've been there. I've been exactly where you are. And I can just tell you that the best thing for you is going to be putting those boundaries in place, not talking to anybody, not talking to any of their flying monkeys either. I mean, because they try to, you know, put themselves in this place of a puppet master or whatever. And I can tell you that the other people around them don't see what's going on. And it's just not going to be helpful for you to try to remain in contact with them or the other people in their world. It's better for you to try to cut ties with as many people that are close to that narcissist as possible too, for your own sake, your own sanity, your own soul. 10 power-packed phrases that can instantly unmask that covert narcissist, all right? So let's dive in, shall we? By the way, I've got a brand new book, Slay the Bully, How to Negotiate with a Narcissist and Win, which you should go straight to slaythebully.com and you should grab it right now because if you do, you get early access to the entire manuscript, you get a masterclass, you get all all sorts of really, really super cool things. So make sure you do that right now. All right. So number one is I'm not having this discussion with you. I'm telling you how it is because you know what? They, they bank on the fact that you're not going to snuff them out. They, they bank on the fact that you're not going to go direct with them. They, they don't, it stops them in their tracks. So if you say directly to them, I'm not having this discussion with you. I'm telling you how it is. Then it, it establishes your assertiveness with them and it lets the narcissist know that you won't be manipulated and it sets this clear boundary with them. And you don't need to say it in an angry way. You don't need to say it in a way that has any tone. You don't even even need to say, you can just say it even sort of robotically. You know, you can just make it clear that you, there's a new game in town, that this new game in town doesn't tolerate their attempts to control conversation. You can just say, I'm not having this discussion with you. I'm telling you how it is. Just like that. And you can just look at them like that. Okay. So that's number one. Number two is I don't get what you're trying to say or do here. You just kind of play dumb. I don't, I don't understand what you're trying to do. I'm not sure. You know, by, by you act confused. And when you subtly sort of challenge the narcissist attempts to confuse or gaslight you, it puts the focus back on their behavior to demand clarity instead of anger. 
you sort of are bewildered. I'm I'm not sure. Can you can you provide clarity for me? I'm just I'm just trying to understand what what it is you're trying to say. Can you can you give me some more clarity on that, please? When you approach it with some bewilderment or or like um, confusion instead of anger, it sort of disarms them. So that's number two. Number three is this isn't the way to talk to me or anyone else for that matter. So you are establishing that you are not going to be disrespected. And and let me tell you, I always sort of give a formula for shifting the dynamic of power with narcissists. And I say that you need to to think about it in terms of baby steps, because oftentimes you've been conditioned for a long time, whether it's a professional relationship or a personal relationship. A lot of times you, you don't feel like you can shift that dynamic of power all at once because it feels overwhelming to do it all at once. So I say step one, don't run. Step two, make a U-turn. Step three, break free. So step one is just creating those boundaries. When you first start creating those boundaries, that first boundary doesn't have to be a physical boundary. It doesn't have to be moving out of the house or or getting out of a partnership that first boundary can really just be this isn't the way to talk to me or anyone else for that matter you don't even have to add the or anyone else for that matter you can just say this isn't the way to talk to me so by addressing their communication style and and the fact that you find it disrespectful you're reminding the covert narcissist that their behavior is not acceptable and it also emphasizes if you want to say or anyone else for that matter their important the importance of treating you with respect and others with respect. But if you don't even care about others at that moment, you can just say, you know, don't treat me disrespectful. All right. So that's number three. Number four is if you're going to talk about me to anyone else, it should be in a respectful manner. And, you know, I have a friend who's also my business coach. She's been my business coach for a very long time. And she would always say, don't leave me less in other people's listening. So when people are hearing about me, don't leave me less. They're thinking less of me when when you walk away. So, you know, it, this phrase draws attention to the narcissist's tendency to, you know, try to line up flying monkeys, gossip about you, have their army of people so that you feel isolated where they're speaking ill of you. And it encourages them to consider their words and reminds them of that importance of, of speaking of respect. But really more, more importantly, you're calling them out. You're demasking them. You're saying, I see you. I know what you're doing. I know what you're up to. You're not fooling me. I see what you're up to. It's almost like you're you're shining the light. It's like that when you pull the rock off the the bugs and they all go scurrying. What? What are you doing? Right? So it's it's not just the fact that you're demanding this. It's also the fact that you're shining the light on it and, and you're like shaming them about it. The next one is number five, which is your behavior and words have consequences, which can be felt by others. Here you're highlighting 
the impact of their actions, which again, sheds light on their lack of empathy. And it reminds them that their behavior not only affects themselves, but those around them. They may not care about you. They may not even care about anyone else, but maybe they'll be worried about how it's going to show up for themselves. And in that moment, they may be so proud that they'll be like, oh, it's nothing's going to happen to me. But even if they say that in that moment, they may, may be worried. You can still say it because regardless of how they react in that moment, it still may worry them. Number six is it's not okay to only think of yourself and disregard everyone else's feelings. Again, you know, you are standing up for yourself and you are letting them know that you see what they're doing. You see that they're only thinking of themselves. And especially for a covert narcissist, they want to be seen as the humanitarians. They want to be seen as the one who thinks of everyone else. And so if you are calling them out as someone who doesn't think of everyone else, they'll be like, oh, feigning this hurt. Like I take care of everyone. Are you kidding me? You know, they'll be extremely hurt by that, right? So that will kick them right in the gut. And it highlights the need for empathy and consideration towards others and exposing their lack thereof. And by the way, I have phrases for disarming narcissists that you can get for free at disarmthenarc.com, which I definitely highly recommend that you do. And if you need self-care, I have a whole video on self-care for coping with narcissists and definitely check out that video as well. The next one is, if you want something from me, tell me so plainly instead of implying it and being passive aggressive. You know, again, they're they're going to be like, I'm being passive aggressive. What? Me? Are you kidding? They don't want to be seen as anything other than good and wonderful, even though they are very, very passive aggressive. By actually calling out their passive aggressive tendencies and tactics, you force them to be more direct and transparent because they want to have sort of these clean hands all the time. You know, they, they don't want to be seen as this manipulative person that they are. And it promotes their open and honest dialogue. And by the way, I have a whole video called Decoding the Top Seven Catchphrases of Narcissists, which is another great video for you to check out. So the next one is number eight, which is what you're doing right now isn't helping us and isn't helping the relationship. So, you know, it just sort of like brings it all back so that you can remind everyone, where are we going with this? Don't we want to get to a place where we're actually getting somewhere with this whole thing, right? Aren't we trying to resolve a conflict here? You know, by pointing out that their behavior is detrimental to the relationship, you highlight the negative impact of their actions. And it encourages the narcissist to reflect on their behavior and their consequences, whether they actually do or not, probably not. But at least for that moment, they get like shamed and, you know, they're open. You open that and you 
unmask them for that moment. The next one is I know who I am and what I need in a relationship. And this is not it. The more you become authentic about who you are, how strong you are, and what you want in a relationship, the more difficult it's going to be for that covert narcissist to be existing in that. Because that is a narcissist kryptonite, a a strong, resilient, authentic human being is not a person who a narcissist can coexist with. A narcissist by definition needs a person who's going to be insecure, needs a person who can be manipulated, needs a person who wants to cling to them. And that this statement I know who I am and what I need in a relationship. Assert your self-worth, assert your boundaries. It emphasizes you're not settling for a relationship tainted with narcissistic tendencies. It empowers you to protect yourself. So powerful. The next one is this conversation is over until we can speak respectfully without manipulation or blame shifting. By setting a firm boundary, you establish that you will not engage in unhealthy conversations. This phrase demands that you demand mutual respect and honesty while exposing that covert narcs manipulation tactics. So good. Conversations over until we can speak respectfully without manipulation and without blame shifting. And, and by the way, if you need additional support, please join my free private Facebook group, Narcissist Negotiators with Rebecca Zung, because get the help and support that you need. And if you need therapy, betterhelp.com forward slash Rebecca Zung. Again, get the help and support that you need. We receive commissions. It doesn't cost you any extra. There you have it, folks. Those are the 10 power packed phrases that will help you when dealing with and confronting a covert narcissist. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. Malignant narcissists, by the way, have an overlay of being a sociopath. They're much more dangerous. These are the guys, or women too, who have a tendency to be the stalkers, the the ones that can turn violent, the ones that have threats of violence. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life, whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets, and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this.
Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. And that very first step has to be creating some boundaries. And if the very first thing that you feel comfortable doing is just saying, you know what? Starting today, I'm not going to be spoken to in a way that's disrespectful. That is okay. That's a great boundary to start with. And now we return to today's show. So today I'm going to explore the even darker side of narcissism. Like narcissism isn't dark enough already, but the darker underbelly, those really seriously ugly side of narcissism, the malignant narcissist. That's the scariest form of narcissist. And we're going to dive in today in finding out what a malignant narcissist looks like and how to protect yourself. A malignant narcissist isn't just a narcissist. A regular narcissist has a very fragile sense of self. They have no sense of internal value. They try to grab all of their feeling of value from the external. They might devalue, debase others. They might beef up their own um, accomplishments. A malignant narcissist isn't just like your regular narcissist. A regular narcissist has no inner sense of value. They have no inner inner sense of self. They're very fragile. They have very fragile egos and they're entirely driven by everything external. So they need an endless amount of supply. And supply can be anything in the form of compliments, money, tangibles, um, big job, big car, the right friends, living in the right neighborhood, anything that makes them look good on the outside. But um, supply can also be in the form of the you know, abusive behavior, which is devaluing people, debasing people, judging people, putting people down, um, you know, all all that sort of thing. And, And all narcissists have very little sense of inner self or none. And I've often said in my other videos that they're like the chocolate hollow Easter bunny. They might kind of look good on the outside, but there's absolutely nothing inside. And that's what's going on with a narcissist. So all narcissists have that. So, you know, whether you're a a grandiose narcissist or a covert narcissist, you know, you're going to have these um, traits. And if you want to know more about covert narcissists, then you're going to want to check out my video on the covert passive aggressive narcissist. How a malignant narcissist differs, however, is that this is where antisocial, dangerous behavior mixes with your regular garden variety narcissist. So you've got your fragile ego and you've got your little, you know, sense of uh, no sense of internal value. And you've got this person who's, you know, very much trying to make themselves look as good as possible, but it's also overlaid with an antisocial personality, a person who is extremely suspicious, who is potentially aggressive and potentially dangerous. This is the person that will stop at nothing to destroy, like seriously destroy families, destroy careers, destroy homes, destroy, you know, work environments and potentially even countries or nations, depending on, you know, what kind of uh, position of power they're in. But they, they literally have 
that need for it's such a need for control and and such a deep-seated rage and hatred inside of themselves that they're not just trying to fill themselves with endless amounts of narcissistic supply which is what most narcissists do they're also they have this antisocial personality disorder overlay and so they they literally have the power to destroy people So what you'll see with a malignant narcissist is they get themselves into a position of power, whether it's within the family dynamic or within a work environment or a company environment or anything like that. And then um, everybody around them is constantly walking on eggshells to not... um, upset this person. And so, you know, they have the ability to be triggered so easily. You've heard the term hair trigger. These people have a very, very, very sensitive hair trigger and any little thing can trigger them to blow up, go crazy and and completely try to obliterate somebody for the smallest little infraction. They can just go nuts on someone because you know, they didn't staple something the right way or they didn't, you know, hang the towel the way they were supposed to. They'll absolutely lose it. These people can come across as impulsive, um, destructive, um, aggressive, unstable, um, you know, and, and what really sets them off more than anything is any slightest little thing that looks to them to be, um, you know, a besmirch to them in any way. So for example, if you gave an opinion that differed from theirs, then, um, you know, you are going to pay the price for that. You're going to have to look bad. Um, and, and, and they think that they are like demonstrating confidence and, and making them, making sure that everybody knows who's the powerful one by basically, obliterating somebody for like the smallest little infraction. So this is a person that when other people are around them, people feel anxious. Uh, they feel intimidated by this person. They feel they, they're extremely fearful of this person, extremely fearful of what they're going to do. And so when you combine this, this, this feeling of fear and intimidation, um, and then they have absolutely no empathy because no narcissists have empathy for others. That's what makes them narcissists. Um, and their suspiciousness and their aggression uh, will cause a, a, a lot of destruction to people and can cause a, a lot of pain to people. So how a person might describe a malignant narcissist without, if they don't know that they're a malignant narcissist, they might say that they're jealous. They might say that they're petty. They might say that they're thin-skinned. They might say that they're punitive. They might say that they're angry or that they're shallow or that they have, um, you know, uh, uh, they can be impulsive, um, that they, they have a tendency to lash out very quickly over very small things. They also can tend to be very cunning, very sly, uh, very good at coming up with ways to hurt people in, in very sneaky ways. A malignant narcissist also tends to see the world in a very black and white way. So they're either smart or they're dumb. They're either rich or they're poor. They're either in or they're out. They're a loser or they're a winner. 
Um, they just see things in very, very black and white ways. They also hold feelings of grandiose superiority. So they think that they can say things that completely aren't true at all, have no basis in fact whatsoever, and believe that the, the world around them will believe everything that they have to say, and well, nobody will question it. But it's true because they said that it's true. According to Campbell's Psychiatric Dictionary, malignant narcissism combines the characteristics of narcissistic personality disorder, or NPD, antisocial personality disorder, or APD, aggression and sadism, either toward other self or both, and paranoia. So if you think that you are dealing with a malignant narcissist, then I highly suggest that you figure out a way to get out of this relationship. This is the person who might have a tendency to engage in things like violence, stalking, threats of violence. Um, you know, they really will stop at nothing to destroy you. You know, there's certain types of narcissists that are pretty heinous as well, but they're not going to go after you to the point of destroying you because they don't want themselves to also look bad. This is the type of narcissist that they'll just stop at nothing because they think that they'll be able to get away with it. They live in such a distorted world that they think that they'll be able to get away with it. So you really need to figure out a plan to get away from this person. Um, you know, if you're in, in a marriage with this person, start figuring out what you need to do to get out of the relationship with this person. And if you're not thinking of divorcing the narcissist, then you need to figure out a way that you can create some serious boundaries so that this person cannot continue to hurt you. And part of creating boundaries is going to be having ways that they can only communicate with you, you know, in one way, one way in, one way out, something like that. Um, or, or shutting off communication with them altogether would be the ideal way to go. But you know, you definitely need to start creating a plan for how you're going to get out of this relationship with this person because th these people cannot be rehabilitated. They will not get better. Don't make excuses for them. That's another way that you can start protecting yourself is stop making excuses for them. Just understand that they're very sick individuals. They're mentally ill and you can't help them. You can't help them. So you need to figure out a plan to get out of this relationship with this person. So today I am talking about something that I don't necessarily uh, enjoy talking about and that's malignant narcissists and Malignant narcissists have an overlay of being a sociopath, and so they can tend to be violent, have threats of violence, and often can be dangerous. And I have seen it a lot in my practice, you know, when I was practicing family law uh, actively and saw them threaten. And so I want to talk about the signs that I saw just you know, in the video with Gabby Petito. And I also saw when you hear about the interviews with her friend and some of the other signs leading up to the fact that she ended up, unfortunately, no longer with us. And it's it's so, so tragic, especially in light of the fact that there was this interview with the police 
just days before she ended up, unfortunately, being found dead. And and as a mother myself, as a mother of of two daughters, I have four children. I have two daughters and two sons, but I also, you know, I have a daughter who happens to be nineteen, and I look at her and I see my daughter, and I just. It's absolutely heartbreaking. It's absolutely tragic. And I can only imagine how heartbreaking it must be for her parents to to know that she was so close to being safe right there with the police. So, you know, just going back and giving a little bit of history of this case for those of you who don't know that much about it, this case basically kind of takes place between July and September of 2021. That was when this young couple, they set out to take this trip in this white van, this white Ford Sprinter. We have Gabby Petito, who's 22 years old, her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie, who's 23 years old. They were engaged. They had been engaged since July of 2020. There's actually some kind of back and forth about whether or not her parents even knew that they were still engaged. I guess she had told her parents that they were no longer engaged. He believed that they were still engaged. But anyway, they had lived with his parents, his family in Florida for about a year. And they decided to embark on this cross-country trip in this van that they had kind of converted into a camper. They start off by going north to New York. They visit her family and then they start heading west and they visit some national parks and they document their trip on social media through YouTube and through Instagram. Apparently, they get into some sort of altercation and that happens on August 24th. So on August 24th, this couple spots them getting into some sort of an altercation where they see him slapping her. So they call the police. 911 is called. The police stop this van. And that's when you see this body cam video that's now been released. And and anybody can go on YouTube and watch it. They pull them over. She's crying. She's upset. And there are all kinds of indications during that interaction that she's actually a victim of a, a narcissist. I mean, she gets out, she's crying. She immediately blames herself. I was the one, I was distracting him. You can see right away that she's blaming herself. And she's upset and she's crying. And to the policeman's credit, you know, he's very calm with her, very kind, asks her to, you know, sit in the police car, says, you know, it's okay, you're not in trouble, you're fine. But you can see by her body language that she's afraid. She's actually terrified, terrified. She's she's holding herself, she's making her small, herself small. She's scared. And by contrast, Brian is outside, he's open, he's breezily having a conversation with the police. 
and calm, cool, collected, and talking with the police officers and totally fine. And in fact, what I find very interesting is when the police officers said something about, oh, maybe you are really the victim of the domestic assault, what does he do? He actually smiles, this big, wide smile. You know, and listen, if he were really a victim of domestic violence, would he really be smiling? Would he be so delighted? No, he would not. He would most certainly at least be neutral. He wouldn't be laughing. He wouldn't be smiling. I mean, so this is this is the the look of a narcissist. And then You know, there's so many red flags in this situation, but that was certainly a huge red flag, a massive, huge red flag. You know, the fact that she's blaming it all on herself, honestly, is a red flag to me. That is a huge red flag. The fact that she's crying, that she's scared, that she's blaming it all on herself, that is a huge red flag to me. Because honestly, I believe that she was afraid of backlash, that she was afraid that when they got back in that van and the police are gone, that he was going to freak out on her. This is all your fault. You are the ones that invited this. You caused the police to get involved. And she didn't want that to happen. So she was afraid whether it was going to be physical backlash or verbal backlash, emotional backlash, whatever it was going to be, that she was going to be punished later down the road. Why was she so scared? Why was she so terrified? Why was she in the back of that police car crying, sobbing, terrified? Was she terrified of the police officers? Clearly not. They were being very nice with her, very sweet with her, very calm with her. What was she so afraid of? Clearly, she was afraid of what was going to happen after this whole thing was over. So that was a huge red flag for me. As far as the boyfriend was concerned, how was he? Where was his concern for her? Was he saying anything about her? Was he worried about where she was? Was he worried about the fact that she was upset? Absolutely not. And by the way, she's blaming all of the altercation and everything on herself. Did he do that? No. Did he even say, oh, it was both of us. We had an altercation? No. He blamed it all on her too. She grabbed the wheel. She made me swerve. He threw her right under the bus as well. I mean, this is the mark of a narcissist. No problem telling the police she's the problem. Clearly no problem throwing her under the bus. Very, very narcissistic. Absolutely no conscience whatsoever. No concern for her, no concern for her future, no concern for the fact that she may be upset. And by the way, not even neutral. You know, not even the fact that, you know, he's like saying, hey, it's both of us. We got into an altercation. We were upset. None of that. Just it's her. Obviously, there are times when maybe it was both of them and maybe she was, you know, the aggressor too and blah, blah, blah. And maybe she was slapping back. 
But you know, I believe that in in this particular instance, having seen a lot of these types of cases, that this was a situation where this was not one of those situations. I've seen situations where the the woman was, you know, right back in the face of the man and fighting back and partially the aggressor as well. This is not one of those situations. This was a huge red flag to me. And here's another red flag to me. The fact that she was saying things like, I'm trying to start a blog and I'm I'm blogging and he doesn't think that I can do it. He doesn't believe I can do any of it. He calls it her little blog. Those are also indications of a narcissist devaluing something that she's trying to do, jealous of her, that she's trying to do something, minimizing the fact that she's trying to do something, the fact that she's doing anything that may take the spotlight away from him. Also very, very narcissistic, jealous of anything that may take her away from him also very narcissistic. Also, the fact that her friend, Rose Davis, who's also 21 years old, one of her friends said that he was extremely jealous, that he was manipulative, that he was controlling, that they were having more and more frequent arguments, that he once took her identifications so that she couldn't go out to bars. He didn't approve of her relationships, that that, He was isolating her from her friends, constantly jealous of her friends, worried about her leaving him, all very, very indicative of a a narcissistic type of personality, dominating, controlling, manipulative. And these are the types of warning signs that you should be looking for when you are in a relationship and you know, looking to see if maybe it's not the type of relationship that you should be in. Another huge red flag is after she disappears. So September 1st, he shows up back in Florida in the van. She's not with him. Where is she? And he's not talking. This love of his life, supposedly, and he's lawyering up and not saying a word. That's a huge red flag. Obviously, if he were concerned, oh my God, she disappeared. Wouldn't he be going, hey world, help me find her. Everybody help me find her, she's missing. But he's not doing that. And now all of a sudden, he's gone too, by the way massive huge red flag. And now, of course, the worst possible outcome, you know, she's dead. So these are the types of, of red flags that everyone should be looking for when you are in these types of relationships. Very, very sad, very, very sad. And especially because it was it was right there. She was right there with the police. And clearly something could have been done. You know, I, I don't know. Obviously, the police had no no grounds to hold her or no grounds to hold him at that time. But geez, you know, too bad that nobody was able to pull her aside at that point and say, hey, 
this is not a healthy relationship for you. Maybe it's time that you you get out of this relationship. So I, I feel like it's important for all of us who have a voice, who have a platform to say, if you are in a relationship that is not safe, that is not serving you, to please call the domestic abuse hotline, to please go to your nearest shelter, that there is help for you out there. It, it is okay to go get that help. And I'm going to be making sure that I drop links below to the domestic abuse hotline. Go get the help that you need. Thank you very much. So I have, along with many of you, been following the story of the beautiful Gabby Petito. It has touched me in a very personal way because I have two daughters and one of my daughters is actually not that far apart in age from Gabby Petito. I have a 19-year-old daughter who is a beautiful blonde-haired girl like Gabby in my heart. So much goes out to the Petito family. And I mean, gosh, she's she's all of our daughters, isn't she? I mean, just beautiful and had her entire life ahead of her. And here she is wanting to just have a, a life, wanting to get in a van and blog and do an Instagram and be on YouTube and have a boyfriend, do all the things that girls want to do. And she just fell into the hands of the wrong guy. So a guy who was very charming, I'm sure, at the beginning. And they jumped into a van just so, you know, for those of you who don't know a lot of this story, they jumped into a van at the beginning of July. They were going across country. They were going to be blogging about their story and visiting national parks and it was going to be fantastic. And it started off wonderfully. They were putting stuff on social media about all the wonderful things that they were doing. And turns out not so great. Couple sees them fighting, sees him slapping her. They end up calling 911. The cops stop them in August. There's this body cam footage of how they were fighting. She's crying. I did actually a breakdown on that of how I think that he was actually a malignant narcissist. And I actually pointed out why I think he's a malignant narcissist in that video and the signs that I saw. I'm actually going to be doing another whole video on, I think, all the things that the cops actually missed on that. But, you know, I believe that he was a malignant narcissist. And malignant narcissists, by the way, have an overlay of being a sociopath. They're much more dangerous. These are the guys, or women too, who have a tendency to be the stalkers, the, the ones that can turn violent, the ones that have threats of violence. And I have seen them in my practice, you know, when I was practicing family law on a full time basis. I would see these people and this guy had those tendencies. So how I think that potentially this led to her murder was on August 27th. There was a an explosive fight that happened at a Tex-Mex restaurant. It was at a place called the Mary Piglet's Restaurant, a Mexican cafe in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. 
a woman and her boyfriend were on vacation from New Orleans. They happened to be next to them at the restaurant, a woman named Nina Angelo and her boyfriend, Matt England. They were right next to them and they saw them fighting at a restaurant on August 27th at 1 p.m. A massive, huge, explosive fight where he, Brian Laundrie, was fighting with the hostess and fighting with the manager and with the waitress. And Gabby was crying and she abruptly leaves. And she's standing outside on the sidewalk and crying. And Brian goes in and out several times, at least four times, and appears to be fighting with the manager, the hostess, and the waitress, aggressively arguing with them and appears to be fighting with them about money or the bill or something like that. And back and forth and At some point then, after he leaves the last time, Gabby, who's very upset and crying, goes back in and apologizes for his behavior. And it's after that time, approximately four hours later, after this argument, that Brian is seen driving the van by himself. And it's after this that there's this other blogger that you see talking about how this white van, their van, is seen at the campsite not far from where her body ends up being found. And the van is there and there's this, it's parked and the back door is open, but somebody is inside and you see the back door just mysteriously close as somebody drives past. And it's that same day, August 27th, that Gabby's mother receives this mysterious text message that says something like something about Stan. Can you help Stan? I keep getting his voicemails and missed calls, which refers to her grandfather. But her mother found it very odd because Gabby never referred to the grandfather by his first name. Uh, And then it was a few days later that she got another text message about them not having service. And Gabby's mother now believes that neither of those texts were actually from Gabby herself. So how could she have been murdered that day? Well, it's possible that he was super angry. We know that he was already in a rage. We know that he was already angry at the waitress, the hostess, and the manager, who were all women, by the way. He was already aggressive. He was already angry at them. He was felt disrespected in some way at that restaurant. And the reason why he kept going back in is because he was in this power struggle with these women at the restaurant And you know how it is with narcissists. They're in this power struggle. They need to feel respected. They need to feel adulated. They need to have this feeling of superiority. And with narcissists, it's always winners and losers. It's always you're either for them or against them. And they need to have that respect. 
and especially in a public setting. So they have to have that appearance of being the winner, of course. And so here it is in this public setting where all the people, all the patrons are seeing him and apparently he's in this power struggle and he's got this shame, right? And narcissists carry this deep sense of shame that they're constantly trying to cover up. And when that narcissistic injury, that shame gets triggered, that's when that narcissistic rage comes flying out. And especially for malignant narcissists, so it gets directed at who's ever around them. And we know that Gabby was already upset. Who knows if the two of them were already fighting about something separate, why she was hysterically crying. I don't know if they were already upset about something else or if she was upset about something at the restaurant, but she was already hysterically crying, at least according to this couple. And we know that they were already having a hard time because they were fighting, you know, just weeks before. And so the fact that she then went inside and apologized on his behalf to the restaurant people and then went back out to him would have been absolutely the worst thing that she could have done. Now, I'm sure from her perspective, she didn't do it to disrespect him. I'm sure from her perspective, it was just she felt terrible for them. The fact that he may have been horrible to them, she probably just felt bad for them. She's probably a very empathic person, empathetic person. She probably just wanted to smooth it over. But from his perspective, you're either for me or against me. And if you're for them, you're against me. And he may have thought, how dare you? And to him, that may have been, you need to be punished for that. And that may have been the absolute straw. And so when they got back into that van for him, that may have been something that she may have had some, that that may have been the thing that caused the final straw, you know, and and who knows, she may have even said at that point, I don't want to be with you anymore. I'm done with this relationship. And that may have been a straw too. Who knows? And, you know, why didn't she reach out for help? It could have been that because the cops weren't of any help to her, just a couple weeks before that she didn't feel that they were going to be of any help. He sat there and charmed them. So she felt, well, he's probably just going to charm them again. I mean, the one cop said, oh, maybe you're the victim of domestic violence. And he sat there and smiled. I talked about that in my other video. So from her perspective, she's probably thinking, well, there's no reason for me to reach out to them because... They're of no help, right? From his perspective, you know, he's got this very fragile ego. It was already triggered. He was already upset. He was already in a rage. She goes back in. She apologizes on his behalf. Boom. That was probably 
not a good thing for her to do. Um, from his perspective, he may have said, that's it, you're done, you've got to pay. So I do want to just address, if you are in a situation where you are unsafe, where you are, you do need to get out. I am going to post the domestic violence phone numbers again, just as I did in my last video. You do need to get out. I do want you to have a plan for your escape, as I mentioned before, so that you don't ever have to return because it is absolutely much worse if you do have to return. So if you can, if you can have a stash of cash, that would be ideal. It would be ideal if you have at least enough to last you a couple of months, a stash of cash that is your own in your own name in a bank account that no one else has access to. That would be perfect. If, if you have a place to go that is safe, that is ideal. If you don't have a place to go that you can stay that is safe, try to get yourself to a shelter. Usually there are shelters in your area. Try to get yourself to one. If you have children, have a plan for your children. Figure out what you're going to do with them. And if you can have a credit card in your own name, that would be ideal. And if you were going to hire a lawyer, now would be a good time to do that. If you decide that that is something that you want to do, have the lawyer hired ahead of time and then make a plan with your lawyer as far as if you are planning to file for divorce, where and when you want to serve this person with divorce papers or not. And if you're planning to serve this person with a restraining order or something like that, figure out all of the logistics ahead of time with that as well. So those are my thoughts on creating a safe plan. If you are in this situation, please, please, please have a plan before you get, you know, you decide to to get to safety, but then please get to safety. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. 